Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast to the number one ranked show. On this episode of the number one ranked show, I am going to preview the Pac-12, tell you who I expect to win the whole doggone thing, who is the best candidate to put money in the bag, and which players I expect to have breakout seasons in 2022 but we're going to start as we always have with these conference previews with my top five storylines some of these are declarations some of these are well questions and i start with this one number one is utah going to make its first trip to the college football playoff man better now than any other time and i'm going to unpack that throughout the course of this show but I wrote about Utah in my top 25 preseason ranking on the Fox Sports app. Please go check that out. Over there, where I rank them number five, I make reference to 14 of their 22 starters are back to this year's squad, including starting quarterback Cam Rising. They're expecting Mohamed Diabate to fill that role left by Devin Lloyd. He's coming from Florida. They have a non-conference game this year that opened against Florida. I'm excited to see what that looks like. But it's also about who Utah has been over the last, really, 20 years, but especially since Kyle Whittingham has been in charge, going back to 08 when they ran the table undefeated. They beat Alabama in a bowl game, and nobody wanted to say anything about it. There is this real divide that we have about Utah and its place in college football and just how good they have been playing. I've been saying for some time that the Utah Utes played outstanding football. They're just not really good at branding themselves and letting everybody know about this. But they had an opportunity to do that last year when they were able to double up Oregon in 13 days and then give Ohio State the business in the Rose Bowl just as Ohio State was able to pull that out with a generational game by Jackson Smith and Jigba who had 347 yards receiving in that game. But again, we're talking about Kyle Whittingham having a decision to go for it, kick a field goal, those sorts of things toward the end of the game as to whether or not they won that one. I think that Utah is the Pac-12's best hope to get into the college football playoff, but that also means that Utah is probably going to have to run the table because so many people are already out on Utah. I have them ranked number five. The AP preseason poll has them ranked at number seven. You can work with that. That's not that's not terrible, right? Even if you started outside the top 25, I still think you can work yourself into the college football playoff if you're a Power 5 program, but that would get me off on another tangent that we just don't have time for today. Number two on this list, will Lincoln Riley win 12 games, the conference title, Produce the Heisman winner at quarterback and make the college football playoff in year one at USC, just like he did at Oklahoma. 
All right. So there's a lot to unpack there, but you can see I laid it on pretty thick because Lincoln Riley made his debut to much acclaim. Now, Oklahoma fans would be the first people to tell you he inherited a damn good football team in Norman when Bob Stoops tapped him at just the right time for Lincoln Riley to succeed as a 33-year-old head coach turning 34 at the start of the season. Now, I know that Lincoln Riley can coordinate an offense. We know that he can at the very least, put out a quarterback that knows how to play. And this year, it is going to be Caleb Williams. We know this because he brought him to Pac-12 Media Days. And Caleb Williams, when he is on, is outstanding. Problem with that is when he's not on, he's not outstanding. There's not really any middle ground with this dude so far, but he was also a true freshman last year. Let's allow for some growth. Now, the offense is also going to have Travis Dye, who was an outstanding tailback, rushed for damn near 1,300 yards at Oregon last year. Jordan Addison coming from Pittsburgh, who is the reigning Bolitnikoff Award winner. Mario Williams, who Caleb Williams has a great rapport with. It's about whether or not the offensive line is going to be as good as it was last year and how healthy it can stay because they're just not that deep over there. But half the staff from Oklahoma is at USC, or half the staff from Oklahoma last year is at USC this year. Aside from the Utah Utes are probably feeling some kind of way about you, me, and the like having all these nice things to say about a program that went 4-8 and eight as they stomped a mud hole in the Pac-12 and walked it dry. I think that Lincoln Riley has an opportunity to make some waves here, but I do not think they're going to win 12 games. I do not think they're going to have the Heisman winner at quarterback, and I don't think they're going to make the college football playoff in year one. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen down the line, but down the line, it's also in the Big Ten. So if you can't do it this year or next year, you got to do it against Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. You get what I'm saying here? Like, I, I'm not seeing a whole hell of a lot of college football playoff spots for SC if they don't put it together quick, fast, and in a hurry. If you put it together quick, fast, and in a hurry, especially with the 2023 class you have coming in, you have an opportunity to be outstanding and to roll in the Big Ten and call some shots. Be a shot caller. But you got to do it right now. That's why I think this year one is going to be so interesting. We're all wanting to see what Lincoln Riley was running from Oklahoma to in USC, calling it the place where he thinks it could be the mecca of college football. I would like to see it. Two, can you produce? Let's see if they can produce. Number three on this question list for me, the storyline list for me, top five storylines, is BYU a college football playoff contender? All right. So my take on this is the Cougs have won at least 10 games in the last two, ten, uh, two seasons, right? Period. I think they got 21 wins over the last two years. Kalani Stocky is in position to get 30 and three. With Jaron Hall returning, he had 23 touchdowns and just five interceptions last year. If they find a steady replacement for Tyler Algier, they'll be okay. Uh, Tyler, like Abram Smith at Baylor last year, is one of my favorite running backs of 2021. Why? Because both of those dudes came from linebacker to play tailback and were outstanding. All right? More, like, normalize more linebackers becoming tailbacks because apparently— they just know that they want the contact. And what do you want at tailback? Somebody that wants to contact. Somebody knows they're going to probably get hit, but also would like to do the hitting. Problem with BYU in the 2022 season is that on its independent schedule, there's a bunch of Pac-12 stuff. Matter of fact, the joke was last year, BYU would have been the Pac-12 champion and not Utah had they been in the Pac-12 last year because they were stopping a mud hole in Pac-12 teams. This year, they got those Pac-12 teams and Notre Dame. Yikes. Arkansas. Yikes. And then we talk about Oregon and Baylor. Yikes. So you have a Fiesta Bowl entrant 
a team that won the Outback Bowl in nine wins for the first time in a decade, and quite frankly, one of my favorite college football teams in Arkansas, and Baylor, who put together an outstanding season, won the Big 12 championship, and won the damn Sugar Bowl against Ole Miss. If Brigham Young University can run that gauntlet, hell yes, they're going to make the college football playoff. Like, I just, did you hear me? I said Notre Dame, Arkansas, Oregon, and Baylor. What else do you need to see from them? Now, you need to see them win. That's that's the thing, right? You need to see them win. Because 10 games ain't going to get you in the college football playoff. Or I should say, 10 wins is not going to get you in the college football playoff. You knock off all those teams. I don't give a damn how good or bad Arkansas or Notre Dame turn out to be. You're going to be sitting pretty because everybody understands what those programs are and who those programs have been over the past half day, uh, uh, half century to 100 years. This is why I actually have to say something about leaving Michigan out of my top 25 and not UTSA. Okay? I don't like the rules, but them's the rules. My next question on this top four side story, this top five storylines list, RJ Enunciate, you're a damn broadcaster. Can Dan Lanning return Oregon to heights it hasn't seen since Chip Kelly roamed the sidelines in Eugene? Okay. I make that reference because Oregon made the college football playoff, right? They also had a Heisman Trophy winner in Marcus Mariota, who is going to start for the Atlanta Falcons this year. I, You know what? I'm going to leave the NFL stuff to the NFL people. I'm going to say that Mario Cristobal didn't do a bad job at Oregon. He just did not reach the heights that I think even he wanted to reach at Oregon, which is to say, make the damn college football playoff. It ain't enough to win the Pac-12 championship anymore because we don't respect it. That's what this season is about for the Pac-12. Getting the respect of the rest of the country. We don't give a damn. And we've shown that we don't give a damn because we're perfectly fine leaving the Pac-12 champion out of every single college football playoff since 2016. And even then, it was the Washington team that was a sacrificial lamb to Alabama. And not just Alabama, an Alabama team for which Lane Kiffin was calling offensive plays they had not run in the lead up to practice. And they still beat the brakes off the Huskies, all right? That is what you're contending against. That is what Dan Lanning is signed up for at Oregon. Now, what he has going for him is an offensive coordinator that he has a great rapport with in Kenny Dillingham, who has partnered himself with, I think it's going to be Bo Nix as a starter. And Bo Nix played terrible football for all of 59 minutes and 30 seconds against Oregon and Justin Herbert and pulled out a win at Auburn. And Auburn ain't been anything to actually brag about since Cam Newton was playing quarterback over there. The one or two times they were able to beat Nick Saban wasn't good enough. That's why I guess Mileson is at Central Florida. He also has with him Tosh Lapoy, who I think is an outstanding defensive line coach and defensive coordinator. He's going to be coordinating defense for Oregon. And he's got some outstanding players over there. On that list of outstanding players, you're going to talk about Noah Sewell. I know you're going to talk about Noah Sewell because he's been the best defensive player they've had for the last two years. But the guy you should be talking about has been one of my favorite recruits since he got into college football. That is Justin Flo, whose nickname in high school was Baby Man. Why? Because Justin Flo was out here ragdolling people. Like, I have this running list of players on my all-time favorite defense that basically is like a tree of Vontez Perfect-style dudes. The kind of man that will walk up over the line of scrimmage, point at Mac Barkley, and say, I'm about to ruin you because it's like that. That's who Justin Flo is. Now, Justin Flo has also only played 15 quarters of football since getting to Oregon three years ago. But when he got to start against Fresno State, which also was a damn good football team last year, he had 14 tackles in that game and a forced fumble, 
which means he was the first Oregon player since 2007 to have 14 tackles and a forced fumble in the same game. Hello? You get Justin Flo and Noah Sewell playing outstanding defense in the middle of your defense. You're going to have outstanding defensive play. Ergo, you have an opportunity to win a bunch of football games. But more than that, you're going to be in every football game you play, which is going to be the landscape for Ducks football. As much as it's going to pain my homie Jeff Schwartz to hear, y'all might be up a creek in Eugene, okay? You're going to need to be running like Prefontaine out in Eugene because your non-conference schedule, unlike Michigan's, is a death march, all right? Like, let me put it this way, okay? Your non-conference schedule at Oregon is at Georgia, I'm calling it at Georgia because they're playing in Atlanta, and I, I refuse to give Georgia a neutral site on that. That's just, that's asinine. Let's not be stupid about this. Eastern Washington, and then, my goodness, BYU. All right, so what that means is Oregon's non-conference schedule includes a 10-win FCS team, a 10-win FBS team, and the defending college football playoff national champions. That's your non-conference, homie. If you run that gauntlet 3-0, yes, you are the number one team in the country by my standards. I mean, you would have beaten the number three team, according to the AP, one of the best FCS teams in America, and a top 25 Brigham Young University. Tall task, Dan Lanning, this is what you want. 36-year-old first-time head coach, here, have at it, sir. All right. My last question, top five storylines that I'm looking for in the Pac-12. Can the Pac-12 prove it's a Power 5 conference in more than name only? This is a big deal for me, right? Because now would be an outstanding time for the Pac-12 to remind us all that there's good football that's being played on the West Coast, all right? Because over the past five years, you have been skunked in the college football playoff. Your best team usually takes... An unlikely L to a bad team in the Pac-12. All right? Last year, Oregon manages to beat Ohio State on the road. That's a gift. And how does Oregon and the Pac-12 respond to that gift? By giving up the booty to Stanford in a bad year for Stanford. You can't have that. You can't have teams cannibalizing each other in this Pac-12 if you expect to get into the college football playoffs. Another reason why they were smart to get rid of divisions because now you have a better opportunity to get one of your two best teams into the playoff because they'll have to have played each other as opposed to the North, which has not been great, to the South, which is kind of fine depending on which year you expect USC, Arizona State, and Utah to be good. Okay, on top of that, when you get to the Rose Bowl and you're able to demonstrate to us that you could play with Ohio State, a team we all pretty much have a high confidence in. Cool, that's a great look. So, I'm saying that the 2022 fate and future of the Pac-12 is very much on the Utah Utes because they have the built-in reputation advantage. They will play all of the teams that we care about, right? And at least one that we know about, Florida, in its non-conference schedule. And then, if they're able to run the table, win the Pac-12 championship, I don't see how you're going to leave them out, especially if your Big 12 champion has a loss or your ACC champion has a loss. I think both the Big 10 and the SEC are just going to get teams in. That's the way that this league is going. And that's kind of been my whole bent with this 2022 season. One of the things I learned from y'all, one of the things I learned from the sport is 
much as I want the sport to change and be more fair and equal and have some parity, you don't. And you don't particularly care about that. What you care about is whose reputation has what. If you build a reputation up over time, like Utah, we're going to honor that down the line. This is what Cincinnati had to do last year. They had to beat people for three straight years before we were like, cool, we'll let you into the college football playoffs so that Alabama can beat the brakes off you. And then RJ will shut up at talking to us about group of five teams getting into our four-team playoff. Fine. If that's what it's got to take, that's what it's got to take. So, Utah. You got to come through, which is an answer to one of these questions that I'm going to give you a little bit later on. Now, teams who will overachieve. I really like Washington State at over five and a half games. I really do. I, I Teams that overachieve, I only got that one team there because I expect Washington State to have what I think is a better year than last year, which is saying a bunch because they were able to go beat Washington for the first time in some time in dramatic fashion. Their non-conference slate is Idaho at Wisconsin, a game that I think they could win depending on how good or bad Graham Harrell or Graham Harrell, Graham Mertz is. And then you got Colorado. So, but you also got Oregon at home. You got to travel to USC and then you got Utah at home. If you snatch even one of those, I think you get to six games and Jake Dickert gets to have an outstanding first real year as the head coach of Washington State. I also have a little bit of history with Washington State's defense coordinator, Brian Ward, in that he was defense coordinator at Tulsa Union in 2006 when I was a senior in high school. I remember that year because it didn't go so well for Union because my man Bill Blankenship got up and left, and when he got up and left, they hired a dude that's coming in to try to keep up Union's, like, 50-game win streak at home. They invite the MTV Hoovers over, and then they got the break speed off, and then they lost three games in the season. That was, you know, DEFCON 4 in the city of Tulsa. My man has worked his way into Washington State. I'm very excited about it. Plus, Jake Dickert has this North Dakota State pedigree that I really love. And we'll talk a little bit about why Cam Ward and the offense coordinator there are also people you should believe in going into this year. All right. Teams who will or underachieve, excuse me, teams who will underachieve. I only got one on the list here. Oregon. Eight and a half. So they would have to win nine to go over. I think they're going to win eight. It's that night that I got a problem with. At Georgia, L. Eastern Washington. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. BYU. Ugh, I think BYU could get you, dude. Like, they know who they are. They know what they want to do. This is not new for them. They do this. And then you have Washington State, who I already spoke about, and then Utah, who I really think is going to be a good Pac-12 program this year. You're going to have to do a lot. Like, I don't I don't hate the non-conference schedule because you have to play somebody every single week, and I genuinely love that as a college football analyst and fan. But I'm sure that you as head coaches are like, yo, can we put some wins on on our non-conference schedule? Who put this together? Be like, RJ did. RJ did this. RJ is excited about this. But no, this is a death march for you. Okay. Moving on from that, the best bet to put money in the bag. All right. So this was actually a question that was – generated from the tweets when I asked people, like, what would they like to see in these conference previews? And it's like, hey, man, give us our best bet to put the money in the bag because that's a segment that was invented on this show and I'm really fond of, and we're all really fond of over here at Fox. So at the top of the list is Eastern Washington at Oregon, okay? I am also basing this off of what happened to Washington last year, the first and last season for Jimmy Lake to be the head coach. <laughs> Look, now – I'm not inclined 
to want to see Eastern Washington, Colin Coward's alma mater, as much as we talk a bunch about USC over here, go and get that W against Oregon because I would like to be able to talk about the Pac-12 being great. However, I can't look at Eastern Washington and just write them off. Now, by all rights, they should lose this game. But wouldn't it be something if we're talking about Eastern Washington handing Oregon this L and then emptying their pockets of $635,000 for the privilege? That would be outstanding. Shout out to Hero Sports who goes and gets these open records requests to find out how much these FCS teams are getting paid to play these FBS teams. And from time to time, go get that W too. Oh, it's the Pac-12. So, you know, we got not one, but two money in the bag bets here. North Dakota State. Arizona. Hey, shout out to my man, Jed Fish, because, you know, nothing like putting... The most dominant FCS program in the country over the last decade on your non-conference schedule. The year after you're coming after after a two-year losing streak. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's funny because because it could be outstanding. All right. So North Dakota State gonna get four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars for going to Tucson to play Arizona. I can't say. With a level of confidence that I expect Arizona to win that football game. Now, the nature of recruiting, the nature of facilities, 60 scholarships, 65 scholarship players to 85 scholarship players. You should win this one going away if you're Arizona. But, 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 that's North Dakota State. And the Bison, they ain't used to losing to anybody. I have wanted North Dakota State to schedule Alabama for some time. I understand why that's not going to happen. However... When I can get one of these on the, on the schedule, yes, go ahead. Throw you some money down on the Bison on this game because what you got to lose. Like, if you lose it, you get to tell everybody, cool, I put money down on it. Arizona is a Pac-12 team. They ought to win that game. But wouldn't you like to come out ahead, like North Dakota State coming out ahead, $425,000 plus the win? It's a good look. It's a good look for you. It's not a good look for Arizona. Good luck to the Wildcats, because I think you're going to need it. All right. From that segment to this segment. Players who will have a breakout year. Now, top of this list for me, Washington State quarterback Cameron Ward. So I got to talk with Cam Ward at Pac-12 Media Day. Outstanding dude. I really enjoy him. He is from just outside of Houston, Texas. And I was asking him what it's like in Pullman. He's like, hey, man, I, I'm fish out of water here. Like, it's cold. I don't know what to do with all that. And I can't get nothing. It's either Amazon or it's not getting here at all. The mall is, is is not great. Like He's just, he's there to play football, right? But he also is playing football for his former head coach at Incarnate Word, who is the offensive coordinator at Washington State now. And last year, he passed for 4,628 yards. He had 47 touchdowns, just 10 interceptions. He is a former Jerry Rice Award winner, which goes to the top true freshman in the FCS, and he threw for 610 yards with seven touchdowns and just one interception against Southern Louisiana, Southeastern Louisiana last year. He's got the goods, but what I love most about this dude is that they didn't, like, throw the football when he played high school football. They were like a, a wing T offense, and he was the quarterback. So he needed to be identified, and one of the greatest things that ever happened to him was getting offered a scholarship to play quarterback at Incarnate Word. 
He's paying that forward by going to Washington State, following his former head coach to Washington State to be offensive coordinator. I expect him to have an outstanding year this year, if not throw for 4,000 yards, perhaps even 30 touchdowns, and I think he's going to keep it under 10 interceptions. The way that people are talking about Caleb Williams last year, I think people are going to be talking about Cam Ward this year. And I think he's got three years of eligibility left, if not no, two years of eligibility left. So you're going to see him this year and next year, provided, you know, the NFL does not decide that they want him. And we'll see how that goes. Next play on the list for me over here is USC linebacker Shane Lee. Now, Shane Lee broke into our consciousness after Dylan Mosley got hurt or Dylan Mosley, Dylan Moses got hurt. In Tuscaloosa 2019, Shane Lee was thrust into the middle linebacker position. He had 86 tackles, one interception that year, and then got usurped and lost his damn job to Henry Tooto, who was transferring in from Tennessee to play Mike linebacker. We haven't heard from Shane Lee since. Now he is at SC. The reason I have circled that is because Shane Lee has all the tools that you want. It's about teaching him how to be the dude that sees things, hits things. And he's got a guy that knows exactly what that looks like in Brian Odom, who's coming over from Oklahoma. I'm going to go a little bit inside baseball on your national folk for just a second. So at Oklahoma, Alex Grinch comes in. He brings in Brian Odom. Brian Odom looks at Kenneth Murray Jr. and says, I got a dude that's got all the ability in the world. All I got to do is teach him to be a linebacker. It took one year. And then Kenneth Murray became the dude that saw and hit, who could run down everybody. As a matter of fact, he got to show this early in the year. I want to say it's 2019 when they played Houston. D.R. King's trying to run away from Kenneth Murray Jr., and he can't do it. Kenneth Murray Jr., 6'2", 240 pounds. Shane Lee has that kind of athleticism and that kind of speed. Brian Odom knows how to get that out of a player. That connection works. It's going to be outstanding to say nothing of what Ray John Davis might be able to do with Brian Odom in his corner. I'm excited to see what happens for Shane Lee at USC. Last player, I'm touching on him in just a little bit, was Justin Flo. Again, just 15 quarters of football over the course of his college football career. But when he's been on the field, he's been outstanding. You just got to keep him healthy. You keep him healthy, you keep him on the football field, he's going to help you win football games. All right. Now, how many teams can compete in the Pac-12 to make the college football playoff? One, as far as I see it. One. It might be Utah. It might be USC. Hell, it might be Cal or Stanford, right? Because both of those programs have good defense, and they know who they are. That's a lot of how I look at this is what's your culture like? How long has your culture been in place? And can you succeed, all things considered? Same thing could be true of UCLA, who's got Dorian Thompson-Robinson coming back for another year. And I expect them to be, if nothing else, a problem in the Pac-12. And a problem means seven to nine wins, right? You have all of that in the Pac-12, but you only have room for one player to get into the college football playoff. A lot of this has to come back to just how the voters see you. And the voters in this position are the selection committee. A bunch of people in suits that are going to sit around at the Gaylord Texan outside of Dallas and tell us who they think is a good college football team. I don't like that as a process. I think the scoreboard ought to be the selection committee. And if you win, you should have an opportunity to play for the college football playoff national championship, which is why I like a 16-team playoff. But until then, the Pac-12 has to put its best foot forward, and its best foot forward means one foot means one team. I think Utah's in the best position to do this. They'll have the SEC East win if they are able to beat Florida. 
against Florida, which most people will tell you is the second most storied program, if not the most storied program, in the SEC East. And then you'll be able to go beat up on USC, who everybody knows about. Even if they were 4-8 last year, people will forget about it because Lincoln Riley's the head coach, Caleb Williams the quarterback. And perhaps, perhaps you have some things to show other folks in that Cam Rising is an outstanding quarterback. As a matter of fact, he goes to the Manning Academy, and he's the dude that people are talking about, mostly because of his ability to move around. Now, Cam Rising was also a guy that Lincoln Riley wanted. He had committed to Oklahoma. He wasn't sure that Lincoln Riley was going to be there. He's probably just like three years ahead on that one, by the way, but nothing there. Then he goes to Texas, transfers to Utah, and it works out. He's an example of how the transfer portal is supposed to work because if Cam Rising and Utah don't find each other, we're not talking about Utah this year because I thought that Charlie Brewer was going to be that guy. Charlie Brewer went from Baylor to Utah, started, didn't work out. He's at Liberty now. Maybe he ends up being Malik Willis 2.0. We'll see. But I don't see it as having more than one team in the way that I could see the SEC or the Big Ten doing those things. So who will play and win the Pac-12 championship? I think you're going to look at Utah, and I think you're going to look at USC to make the uh, excuse me the Pac-12 championship, take advantage of this first year in which we're talking about the Pac-12 not having divisions. So you could have two teams that were once upon a time from the Pac-12 South playing in the college football playoff if if both Utah and USC show up there with you know no losses and just the one win, or excuse me, just the one loss or or no losses. So we're looking at what we're looking at 11-1. We're looking at 12-0 going into the Pac-12 championship, which is going to be played on a Friday night. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. But I would like to see Lincoln Riley versus Kyle Whittingham because I think styles make fights. I saw what Kyle Whittingham was able to do against Ryan Day, and that's a lot of what I'm basing this on. Is Quite as it's kept, there isn't really an offense that has given Morgan Scally and Kyle Whittingham a problem. Like, if you can control the ball... And you can run it on them. You can win. But that's a very short list of teams. As a matter of fact, this is why I end up talking so well about teams like San Diego State, right? It's because they just want to grind you out. It's why we talk about Wisconsin, Minnesota. These teams that have really decided that their philosophy and mentality is going to be about running the football first and playing outstanding defense in the front seven. Utah's the only team outside of Oregon with Mario Cristobal that's been able to do that with some level of consistency. And then you talk about places like Cal, right, where Justin Wilcox wants to absolutely control the ball and play defense being a defensive coach. Stanford wants to do the same thing. I think Utah's just the best version of all of those teams in the Pac-12. USC is going to try to introduce a thing that Graham Harrell tried to introduce with Clay Helton at USC, which is, you know, throwing the ball all over the yard. I don't know that that's going to work, man. Like, we saw Mike Leach try to do it at Washington State. When it was working, it was fine, but it's not something you could do consistently. And that's what I think the difference is going to be. And when you talk about Utah getting into college football playoff, you're not looking, or I should say I'm not looking for Utah to be the fourth best team there that's going to be a sacrificial lamb to Georgia, Ohio State, or Alabama. I'm looking for Utah to compete. I'm looking for them to not just make the playoff, but win a game and get into the national championship. Most of y'all know me as an Oklahoma dude, right? That's been the great scorn of our lifetime, which is we would get to this damn thing, and then we would get our head handed to us, and that ain't fun. So much so that when Oklahoma didn't make it in 2020 and got in the Cotton Bowl, everybody was excited because it felt like a game they could win, right? That's what you want if you're Utah. You don't want to get to the college football playoff just to say you made it. 
You want to get to the college football playoff because you have an opportunity to win the national championship. Year one for USC, I expect them to come out with a bunch of firepower. They're going to be very talented. And if they're able to get some real key wins, I think Fresno State, quite as it's kept, is a key win for them. Same thing with Notre Dame. You're beat up on most of, if not all, of the Pac-12. We'll talk about you well. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one ranked show. As always, my thanks to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media maven is J.B. On Duncan. Our lead of screen is Rachel Cohen. And our coordinating producer is Catherine Donnelly. And I'm the host, R.J. Young. We will see y'all talking about the ACC.